I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Please join me in welcoming our next guest for today's show. She is the CEO and founder of Sefer LLC, a human resources consulting firm that supports small to mid-sized businesses in building their infrastructures to scale, creating strong teams, and building a strong employer brand and culture. She is a transformative HR curator of culture. Her why is building more psychologically safe organizations and cultures to create stronger leadership that support their people and the processes within their organizations. She is the co-author of a children's book titled, Can a Zebra Change Its Stripes? The book focuses on teaching children about embracing differences. She enjoys serving her community and believes that together is better. Please join me in a warm, warm welcome to Tiffany Castaño. Tiffany, we're so happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Megan. It's so great to be here. I appreciate you having me. We always have a good time, so glad to be here. We always have a good time. And for those of you that don't know Tiffany, you should. Um, She has the best sense of humor. We always have a great time laughing when we catch up. That's not why you should know her. She's also incredible at her job. Um, but she brings the the lightheartedness and humor to things, which I really appreciate and I think we really need right now. Um, so in that vein, Tiffany, I want to start with asking you about culture. A lot of the work you do is centered around culture and you have, I mean, you're a pure HR professional at heart from your education to your robust career to even your volunteer work. So with that, I I know that you've worked with plenty of companies and and plenty of leaders to really understand what culture looks like when it's going well um, and what it looks like when it's not. So in that vein, what does culture mean to you right now? How would you define it? To me, it's the heartbeat of the organization and really how, how what the organization is made of. Are they living out these values that they stick up on their website or a poster within the building? And it's the fiber and the DNA. It's what you look like and what you feel like as an organization to your employees, to your suppliers, your stakeholders. And it's an environment that hopefully is safe, but there's a feel to culture. And I think that's why people think it's so fluffy because 
there there should be a feeling and you can walk into a bad culture and feel that and similarly you can walk into a good culture and feel it so that's kind of how what i think of when i think of culture what are some symptoms or some feelings of a bad culture definitely this thickness in the air. It's kind of like if you had some tension between a married couple or something and you can feel as a friend like, oh, they must have just had an argument before we came over for dinner. You can feel that in cultures. I've been a part of those. I have helped be a problem solver for some of those cultures. And it's usually people are very tentative. They're kind of tiptoeing around things they either always go to HR or they're afraid to go to HR or they don't even know who the H- their HR person is. These have been some uh, telltale trends that I've seen over the years as well. And maybe there's a lot of gossiping. There's lots of backstabbing. Certainly these things are, are not an environment of trust that I'm describing, obviously. And maybe people are being developed. You see high turnover in these environments, people being absent a lot. Just there's so many things that um, that come with these types of cultures. What about symptoms of a good culture? What does that feel like? Definitely the opposite. So this is the couple holding hands when you come over and how <laughs> provided they're not faking it, right? Um, <laughs> so this is when people are happy and they feel like they there is an environment of trust and they team build together and people are happy in their roles. They're happy to take on extra assignments. They come to work, they show up and are allowed to show up as their full selves. And there's just kind of this magic that's happening. I One of the things that I love in good cultures is watching true leaders really support their teams and leveraging their strengths. This It's a skill and an art and people don't often do this well, but I love to watch leaders who get it, who can take the individual on the team and make this magic happen to leverage all their strengths and, and build those and kind of blend them all together to a high performing team. That's like one of my favorite things to watch. You know what's so cool, and I agree with you, I think people hesitate with culture because it does feel fluffy, it doesn't feel tangible, there's not always data, but you've just listed some really measurable qualities of a good and bad culture. So I think that, you know, to that point, you know, we can feel it, and sometimes we don't, as leaders, um, we don't step back to practice that objective awareness, to really own the fact that maybe the culture isn't where it needs to be. And, and that's why I think bringing in someone like you or an outsider to, to come in and feel the culture is really important. Um, and it brings me to another question I have for you. A, a lot of the leaders that I've worked o- with over the years, one of the, the pervasive themes and their challenges have been employees not practicing good judgment, meaning employees don't necessarily go outside of their roles and responsibilities to do different things that would support the greater good. They maybe don't attend meetings they should be attending or involve themselves in spaces that they should be to be most effective in their role. And I've always wondered this, and I'm curious your perspective, but do we think that that is a direct reflection of the culture that employees are maybe afraid or to your point they're they're tentative to move forward because they don't know what the repercussions would be? Mm, that is a powerful question. And I know you know that I love a powerful question. <laughs> I, I think absolutely that that is the case many times. Um, that is certainly indicative of a culture that 
could use a little shakeup mm-hmm. and that maybe is not psychologically safe. There mm-hmm. is though, um, there there is a piece of that where employees may come to the organization that way, or maybe they become jaded if they've been very tenured. They just don't care anymore. Maybe they're going to retire soon. And they're just like, I'm over it. I don't care. Or maybe uh, much to my chagrin, but maybe the organization has allowed them to coast for this long. Mm. So what we permit, we promote. And too many times I've seen people, what I call, uh, and some of my other HR peers, rotating the bad tires and you've now given your problem child Mm. over to the other manager Mm -hmm. and you have not disclosed some of the performance or tenants or conduct issues that existed. So I definitely would say that some of that is employee driven. Like that is, it is something that employees can bring to the table too. And sometimes it is the organization or the leader. What a great question though. Oh, my wheels are spinning. Well, okay. So let's, let's go deeper. So in this scenario where the employee is bringing this to the table, it's not reflection of a bad culture. Um, at what level does the leader need to step in from a performance management perspective or and or a coaching perspective to give that fast feedback, to give that redirection, rather than, I love this, rotating a bad tire? So that, I just had this conversation with a client earlier this week, and it, it is making sure you do it from the beginning. We always should be documenting. Documentation is our friend. Feedback is a gift. We, even if it's tough, and I always talk to people about the difference between coaching and feedback. So feedback's in the moment, it's supposed yeah. to be a teaching moment. It's usually, I'm telling you something versus coaching, I'm asking, I may be asking some curious questions and I'm seeking to understand. Hopefully within all of that, we're assuming positive intent, but it's making sure that you document this early on because it's not fair to that employee and how Mm. are they supposed to course correct? That's a leader's job. Now the employee has the other part of that equation. They have to come and do the work too. But together I have seen this be course corrected. But if you never give that employee the opportunity to to share with them what may not be going right, where the opportunities may be to help them through these challenges and struggles, then shame on us as leaders. But if the employee is just you've been coaching them, you've given the feedback, you're doing what you need to do and they're just not there. Sometimes we have to not be afraid to uh, let just let people go because it doesn't serve us or that person well, or certainly the organization, if we just allow a bad apple to rot within the organization. And sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm so mean. Well, no one likes to terminate someone. At least I hope they don't because you are impacting someone's livelihood. But sometimes we may have to help support them on a new journey if, if they're just not Um, because there's will and skill too, right? Like maybe it's just not a good fit and maybe they're good for the organization, but not that role. Let's help them. Let's see if we can find another opportunity within the organization. But if it's will and they're just unwilling, I see no issues provided you've done it the legal way, the right way, uh, the way with dignity to part ways as friends. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm hearing a lot of of key phrases. So coaching versus providing fast feedback in the form of recognition or redirection. Is it skill or is it will? Performance management protocol, documentation. I've been in corporate America for over 15 years now, and I learned about this stuff in my first leadership role. Um, it's, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's common knowledge, but it's pervasive. Every company I've ever worked for has, you know, 
touted these phrases and, and the importance of them. So as long as this idea of coaching and ongoing communication has been around, why do you think that organizations still have pockets of leaders who aren't developing their people, of, of leaders who aren't practicing these, these methods, or who may not even be familiar with them? Why does it continue to be such a struggle? I, I think about this often, actually, because I talk about a lot how leaders get left behind in the process sometimes mm. by their organization. So I have been on teams with leaders who are who haven't been mentored by their leader because there's no time or they promised them that they would help them out. And this is great. You're, you're, you were such a great individual contributor and you had the technical expertise and knowledge. Yeah. Now let's promote you gold star. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Right. But let's slow that process down because we're setting people up to fail. If we don't give them the tools, being a people leader is much different than being a product leader or a knowledge leader, it's it's different. You can be leaders in many different ways. And I am a huge advocate for that. I feel very strongly that I'm not very title driven. Um, and so it's very important for people to understand that if you're gonna put someone in the great responsibility of leading a team, you have to equip them with that. There are so many different tools out there that we can do that. And sometimes it's that their leader was brought up the very same way. And so we perpetuate these cycles mm. that become that way. What also happens is that some leaders are not receptive to feedback from their team. They don't like it when people manage up. They see it as challenging their authority or how dare you think you know more than I am. So this is what I call putting our egos aside. Mm. Move them out of the way because it's not about you. The moment you become a leader it is no longer about you. And so those are some of the things that I see that that are barriers that, that kind of get in the way. And it's not, I don't think most of the time that people set out to be bad leaders or do the wrong thing. I think more often it's that they just don't know what they don't know. And this is one of the beautiful things I love about helping build leadership capabilities because people just, they're hungry often for that knowledge, but the organization doesn't have the resources yeah. or they haven't invested uh, the time into this person and their, their um, growth development. So what would you say then to the leader that's out there listening to this that maybe just stepped into a director role for, for this scenario, we'll say they're a director. <laughs> um, and they believe in this stuff. They don't necessarily have the tools and they're not necessarily working for an organization that is equipping them to be skillful in, in this type of leadership. Um, they're being pressured by quarterly goals. They're being pressured by their boss. Everyone around them is prioritizing data and measurables over people. And they simply don't know how to lead while also doing what they need to do to keep themselves afloat. And I see this often. So I, you know, I, I think myself and our viewers would be really curious, what would your advice be to this leader who, who wants to follow this, uh, these steps, but doesn't necessarily have the support from their organization to do so? That is, it's so tough. And, and even working in organizations, I've had that where I'm working with stakeholders, and they're they're wanting to make such great change and their leader's not on board. And there becomes this point where how much are you going to invest in yourself? So um, it's, can you ask 
for some executive coaching? Can you get that? Is that a resource? Maybe they're not going to spend the time, but will they spend the, the money in order to, to get you a coach or get you someone who can help you? I, in that situation, would say that coaches are very, very valuable for obviously many reasons. I have one. Um, but to be able to really support you through that journey and the, the tough part, and we have EAP programs, right, where you can kind of psychologically talk to someone in an environment where it's safe and I'm a huge mental health advocate too because I'm yeah. sure that this director that's wearing on them we're we're measuring things there's there's things that are tied to that for our own performance and so I would say getting a coach could be a very valuable tool for that that person and knowing what your style is so self-awareness is key in leadership anyway but knowing what your style is and how you could approach your next level of, of leadership is it the vp how do you talk to that person and have a very candid conversation i'd love to encourage people to lean into candor and to lean into um, some vulnerability it's so important as a leader and i think that gets in people's way sometimes so sometimes we see that it might be perceived or we as individuals perceive that the organization's not going to support us, but we have to make that bold step to ask first. So mm. hopefully if you're out there listening and you haven't made that, that step, that is an investment in self and your career. And it's one of the bravest things you can do. I feel like to manage up and tell your leader that you're not getting what you need. Sometimes it means that maybe that organization is not the right place for us. But I believe that if you're set out to do the right thing, the organization really wants to do right by you, you can blend that diversity of thought from maybe what, what are differing um, opinions or perspectives and really have the opportunity to work towards these common goals. I would leverage those similar goals too. I'm sure that VP has goals that are cascaded down to the director. So we should be marrying, marrying those to the mission, vision, and values of the organization. And we should be cascading goals that are going in a similar mm. direction. So if, if that's the case, then use that as your business case. That's what I would say to that. Oh my gosh, you said so many great things and I want to I want to key into a lot of different things that we've talked about here. So let's start with uh, what you ended with, which is mission, vision and values. I think this is such an important piece and I think oftentimes and this is where the Bond Consulting Group really focuses on that, that whole person rather than a part of a person as the mere employee of an organization. Um, so looking at the whole person, what I've seen is people will come into a company and the mission and vision of the company will be basically shoved down their throat with um, onboarding materials and town halls and, you know, onboarding meetings and conversations and, you know, the mission's repeated and it's on the walls. And now that we're working from home, it's probably on the, the laptop that you get all over the, the <laughs> it's your desktop screensaver. Um, so we, we're very clear on our organization's mission, vision, values, but does the organization take time to understand what that individual's values are and perhaps connecting their values to the greater goal of the organization? At the end of the day, and I'm going to be blunt here, people, I don't necessarily think employees care about your vision. Um, they will care if it's aligned to theirs. So it can't just be, here's our vision, take it, learn it, love it. It's got to be how, how can we create a space where people are showing up every day 
and doing work they love because it is so aligned to what they love. So with that, I mean, I, this is my personal opinion, but Tiffany, I would love your thoughts on companies' values versus an individual employee's values and, and where you think that typically, you know, they're linked versus when they're not and what that feels like. Definitely. And I would say to take the last part of it is that it does feel like the safe cultures and the good cultures that we see, that's what it should feel like when those things are linked. Mm. I would say that often there's this misalignment because maybe we weren't given a realistic preview when we came into mm. our job that we were so excited about. And maybe the organization didn't have it quite right when they put together the job description. Did they do the job analysis before that to really make sure that they weren't just comparing Jane and Sally, but that is what does the organization need? And that's a misfire sometimes too with an organization. So we've already started out off, off on the wrong foot. Mm. So the, the values that we're giving to this employee or that we're the mission and vision, we've already gotten away from that because we don't even consider that when these job descriptions are being created, when we're doing a posting or when we want a warm body in the seat. Um, or we have these unrealistic expectations to the market or to what this person should provide. And to your point, we're more worried about what can they perform than who they are and what can they bring to the table. So this is where looking for, I'm such an advocate of looking for potential. And of course they have to have the expertise to do the thing, right? But you have to look for potential. That is where the magic is at folks. That is where you will find your unicorn employees and the people who want to be there for the yeah. right reason. They will seek out your mission and your vision and they will live out those values. And people are savvy these days. So when they're interviewing, employers have to understand that that's a two-way street. So when I was interviewed, my, the questions that I would ask these employers would be very designed to get at things that I haven't heard or to dig into what is really the culture beneath that. And so this, this is something I wanna share because I think it's very important that organizations understand that. Um, I think we focus so hard on uh, kind of the corporate America, what what we're supposed to do, what we want our board to see, what's yes. the external facing facade versus the Photoshop version of what do people really want when they come to work? Mm -hmm. Well, they certainly don't want to be ruined in the process. So how do we get the, and you can ask your folks. I have been sharing the story lately when talking to people about how one of my clients has worked with their, their team to kind of recraft what their mission and vision is. And what a beautiful thing that is. It's this co-created shared purpose and vision. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. And, you know, I've seen companies do, do something similar where um, individual teams within a larger organization will work together to restructure their, their team mission and vision. And they'll have their own... Um, their own ideas for what behavioral expectations should look like on a daily basis. I think that's really important. Um, I also think as people, you know, you tapped on this and it triggered something with me, but I think as people are interviewing, also being really thoughtful about the fact that you might not find your unicorn company, but what are you willing to barter? So maybe you have everything you want in an employer, except the fact that, you know, maybe you need to work more hours a week than you would like, or maybe you're being micromanaged a little bit more than you would like. But if everything else 
is is suited. If you're doing work that you love, if you um, are being provided a, a paycheck that allows you to do the things you love with your friends, with your family, um, that puts a roof over your head, then, you know, I think on the flip side for individuals within organizations, it's important to note that it's okay to not have everything you want in your career. It's okay to surrender to the fact that not everything will be perfect, but if it's good enough, if you're getting really great stuff out of what you're doing and you're happy more than you're not, that it's okay to just be at peace with that too. Um, can we talk a little bit about that, Tiffany? And have you have you seen this where individuals can't let go of one thing within their employer so they're, they're maybe blunted all around? I have, and people get so, history is important, right? Like that's, it's important to, to know where, where we came from in order to know where we are. And that's why people who come into organizations like Poland, China shop, don't go over really yeah. well, but yeah. some people can't let that go. And maybe they mm. were slighted in the past or now, depending on the circumstances and how it was managed or mismanaged can be a factor but people have to learn to be able to embrace all of the things that there are some great employers out there who I feel like sometimes don't get the love that they need either mm-hmm. from their employees because there's such high, I'll give you an example. One of the employers that I worked for, I, I was sitting across having my regular monthly one-on-one with one of the, the uh, business leaders that I supported. And she was telling me how her team was mad at her because they did team building every month and they, they were having ice cream or maybe it was tacos, I don't know, but something either the, the ice cream toppings or the taco fillings weren't brought to the meeting. And they thought she was supposed to be going out to like go and get these things. And I'm like, or they were complaining about the fact that she got them a coffee card and they're tired of the same coffee. They wanted <laughs> something else. And I thought, how lucky you are. You have no idea. The, the opposite side of what could be happening here. And, and I really felt for this leader and I empathize with her for all that she was pouring in to a team who kind of formed this little coup and was like, well, we want this, we're going to tell them this. And, and the, mm-hmm. the best part of it was that she's like, but they were supposed to bring the toppings. They forgot them. <laughs> and because they forgot them, they were supposed, they expected me to go out and get them. I'm like, yeah. you need to take some control <laughs> Yeah. And now I'm all about a balance of power and authority and influence. But in this case, you know, employees, sometimes we have to know to be grateful for what we have and to really look at the pros and cons. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Having changed jobs a lot of times, I know this. So yeah. we, you know, I'm not saying to put up with a terrible environment or a bad boss, but sometimes things are not as bad as we think they are and nothing's ever going to be perfect but if you have an employer who's showing you the love be grateful because your friend next door probably might not so i i think that's a really valuable statement i mean we talk a lot about um on this podcast a lot about the employee or the individual or the leader and and helping them develop as a holistic human being um and what a company can do for their people but to your point it has to be a two-way street we can't veer so off in this direction of we want our culture to be so great and so dynamic that we're going to bend over backwards and do everything for our employees and meet them where they're at 100% of the time. Employees have to come halfway. So it's a, a balance of both. And I think that that's work, Tiffany, that you and I both do when we work with organizations is not only working with leadership on, on coaching and bringing their people along, but also 
on giving people, helping people feel empowered. I almost feel like it's an empowerment issue. Helping people feel empowered to not give all of their control away to an organization to say, please me, but to say, I'm going to do some things to please myself. And, you know, I want to be in a good environment that supports that growth, but I need to, you know, ask for certain things. Going back to your earlier point of asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Advocacy for self and others is so important. And that's where in the interview process, even as candidates, sometimes we give up so much of that control and we think, I want this job. Of course you do, because you're sitting across from the recruiter or the hiring manager, but you have more control over that situation Mm -hmm. than maybe you think you do. So self-love in the employment process is so important, Mm -hmm. whether you're a leader or you're an individual contributor. If we come into the workplace and we we don't love ourselves, we're not going to advocate for ourselves. Either. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great, and I think that takes us right into some things you said earlier. You're you're an advocate for mental health and psychological safety. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about mental health, especially with this global pandemic um, that we've all been through this past year. What are you seeing? What are people asking for? Where do you think people are suffering the most in this space? Well, I know that I'm biased when I say this, but our HR folks need love. Mm. Please be nice to us. We have been running fast and hard. Mm -hmm. And I know what it was like for me when I first hit into this pandemic. I, my husband and I had just come back from, from another one of our annual Jamaica trips. I was all relaxed. And of course, <laughs> I kind of heard rumblings of things going on, but it wasn't that bad. And when I returned, I was like, oh my gosh, I found myself at my kitchen island with my laptop open, advising leaders and trying to figure out all the things because <laughs> I was not sure what was happening. <laughs> um, and I wondered if employees were okay. So checking in on people is so, so important, but we have to understand too, what I've seen happen is that people are working more almost uh, for folks who are at home. They are working longer hours because there's those blurred uh, boundaries. So how as an employer, are you setting up your team? Are you managing those expectations and setting the expectations that you don't want them to work all hours or for their mental health purposes and being able to have a work-life balance check out, you know, when the end of the day, are you helping them, providing them with some tools maybe to be able Mm. to shut down at the end of the day or to not feel so frantic or to be able to take care of their kids or their dog? Um, Are you forcing them to have their video on? Some some people, if they are um, struggling with mental health as it is and you throw this pandemic on top of it, on top of all the injustice in the world, this is where, back to your point in the beginning, letting people show up how they are, carving out time on the agenda to ask how people are, how are their families, how are you feeling, especially in light of all the things that are happening in the world. Um, the pandemic is only one of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. But people are, you know, they need to know what those resources are. So you see people who are offering things like Calm or just different things there. This year I started putting like more prayer, meditation, gratitude practices into my daily routine because you wear down and mentally, emotionally, when you're tasked with doing your job as it is and work environments can be stressful, even if you're working from home, we're always running. We're, we're as humans, especially in America, we're just 
we're kind of conditioned to just go, go, go. Everybody needs a break or they will burn out. They will reach their burning point. You don't want people to start to be like, this job is too much. It's too demanding. My leader doesn't care about me. And now they're burning out and they suffer mental health um, conditions or they just leave you or both. Um, I've been on both sides of that equation before in my career and it's not a good time. So there has to be this appreciation for people's mental health. We are whole beings when we come to work and hopefully when we leave work, if we get it right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. We should have ended on that. Um, <laughs> I think, so going back to our earlier conversation about self-advocacy though, at what point, and I know again, your organization and mine also will provide tools for individuals to do this work, but at what point does the employer relinquish responsibility or the leader relinquish responsibility for their employees mental health and where does the employee take responsibility and say, okay, I've been given the tools. My leader, you know, a leader can give you the tools and, and follow these these steps to create a space that's psychologically safe and, and for mental health and, and health and wellness for their employees. But what if the employee doesn't stop working? What if they're not creating their own personal boundaries? Um, you know, what would a leader do to work with that type of scenario? Like how far do they go? Yeah, it's that's that's definitely a def, uh, a tough balance because the employee has to. I hope that back to self love that we care enough about ourselves mm-hmm. that we want to have some time um, with our families or even if you live alone to be able to read a book, take a bubble bath, just chill out with your dog, do whatever it is that makes you happy. Work can't be our whole lives. And I am someone who loves my career. I love what I do. It is in my DNA. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I like to relax and decompress. Our brains do better, actually. And we do better work when we have time away. So as much as leaders can kind of say that without feeling like, well, do you just not value my work? Like, why do you you want me to take a break? Because that can get in employees' heads, too. Mm -hmm. So I think there has to be a line where the employee has to want it themselves. And it can actually be a source of disengagement if the leader is pushing too hard. Mm. Because some people, especially in, you know, make some people, we deal with grief differently, for instance, Mm. and some people will pour themselves into work. So there may be some reason. So I would say as a leader, do your due diligence, care about them as a person, show them some love, but don't push too far. You just be at the end of the day, we always have to know that we did what's right and did the best that we can do. And that's, that's what matters. But, um, you know, now, of course, if that person is a non-exempt person and their wage and hour things, we might want to push a little harder and talk to our <laughs> friends in HR, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, Tiffany, what are the key factors for you in measuring the mental health of employees in a company? I love to sit down with people and just ask if they're okay. If you as an HR person, as a leader, as a, as a peer are walking around and someone seems like they're just not themselves, I taking the temperature and the pulse of the organization has been something that has kind of set me apart and that I do well, but I also love the human factor, which is why you and I are acquainted. And I think that it's so important to just understand and meet people where they're at. So that's, that's one thing that you can tell. Sometimes people, you know, and sometimes their work performance is suffering or they stop coming to work or they're starting to have some absences or they say something that's kind of mm. off. I have talked to teams often about the fact that we have to be there for each other. So 
as much as we are, we may be individualistic in some ways in our team and in what our individual roles are within that team and organization, we have to come together towards common goals as well. And if your coworker seems like they're down, certainly if they come to work crying or something, that is a key indicator. If their performance is slipping, and this is why having really sometimes tough conversations, but having conversations and getting to the heart of matters mm -hmm. is so important because if you don't know what my normal modus operandi is, how do yeah. you know whether something's off? Um, and this is, you know, it mitigates risk for the organization too. There's, we can get into some workplace violence issues if we don't know what stable state is. So, um, and how do you really help people if you haven't checked in on that? Um, you know, we have tools such as performance management to say, wow, last year you were really rocking it. This year I'm really seeing some struggles. What support do you need from me? How am I able to better support you? And just asking kind of like, what's going on? We're not trying to get in people's health business or anything like that, but we should care enough to ask the question. And I, I'm a big believer in intuition. If something doesn't feel right, mm -hmm. it's kind of like that airport saying too, we're all probably tired of the cliche, but if you see something, say something. You just don't know how you're impacting someone's life. Um, I had an employee who told me that if not for the conversations that we had, they were on a path to suicide. And to this day, that sits with me a little bit, but I, I think wow, what would have happened if I hadn't intervened or been there for this person? A simple conversation can have large impact. Yeah, and you know, it actually activated me to think of a, a military saying, not that I was in the military, I just happened to know this, but um, if you see something below standard and you say nothing, then you've set a new standard. Mm -hmm. And I think circling back to culture and everything that you're saying, whether it's as leaders focusing on employee health and wellness, whether it's as an employee not um, appreciating the good in your organization and, and everything else we've discussed, if we don't say something, if we don't show up for it, if we don't make the time, as you said, the space to make these things a priority, we are in essence over time through various pockets of leadership throughout a company we're, we're devolving an organizational culture. Um, I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I got that from our conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to borrow it if you don't mind. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Um, there are a couple last, last questions I'd like to ask you before we wrap up. Um, the first is around AI. So I think COVID has, you know, as much as COVID has been horrible and sucked, it's, it's done us some good as well. And, you know, I think COVID has catapulted us at least 10 years in advance of technology, of where we would have been had this not happened. Um, it's shifted workplace culture, I think, forever. Um, it's created a space for people to have more of that work-life balance, which is wonderful. And I, I think with that, I see a lot of leaders with a heavy focus on technology, on AI. Some leaders are even managing 100 robots as part of their, their job description. <laughs> um, with that, as we've evolved so much and so quickly with technology, do you see a space where we maybe haven't evolved how we lead our people in this new normal? Are we still doing the same things? Have we thought about how are we bringing our people along too with this more virtual environment beyond 
virtual trainings, uh, bite-sized trainings, micro learnings. I know we have that stuff, but beyond that, are, are, have we evolved how we work with leaders to how they lead their people and teams? What are your thoughts on that? That is another powerful question <laughs> that I love. That's giving me some pause to think. I do think that we still have a long way to go, but I'm with you. I love how we've just like leapfrogged our <laughs> our workplace cultures because people are spending the time, they're doing what they need to do um, for the most part. But I do think that we, one of the, the big ones that jumps out at me with this question is the fact that we still, as leaders have a long way to go as, as I'm observing with kind of the inclusion piece mm. that comes along with the technology, because I have sat in meetings where, whether it's networking or something else, and I'm like, hello, um, Bob over there, Jane, have they have their hand up? Nobody's like, we're not, we have kind of hidden behind the walls of, mm. of this virtual world. And we forget that if we were in person, we'd still have to be inclusive. We'd still want to not let people be interrupted or overrun the meeting with talking. We'd still want to make sure that this person over here, there, there are tools even within a Zoom to raise your hand or to show a reaction or do something. We still are seeing that people are kind of clamoring for all this attention mm. because with that piece, we haven't learned how to kind of manage to that and to be there for our teams with that. Or we're forcing people because they have to turn on the camera and because it's the next, next best thing to being in person. Um, or because there's a camera available, I should say, and it's the next best thing that we're forcing them to turn it on. If I have a disability or I have a mental health condition and there are some very valid reasons why that might trigger me, cause some yeah. anxiety, do some of those things, am I going to work less without my camera on? Probably not. Um, am I going to work better because you use AI or some technology, some tool to track what I'm doing every single second of the day? Probably not. I'm going to feel like you're micromanaging me. So it's there's always this balance. The tools and technology, software solutions are there to help us and support us mm. and increase performance and hopefully our bottom line. But at the same time, we're almost using them in punitive measures yes. sometimes. So um, I, I would say if you're going to use technology, use it for the greater good that we described versus um to track people. We're not widgets. So We're not widgets. <laughs> I say widgets. that too. I love that you said that. I say that. We're not widgets. And, you know, yeah. Tiffany, I, I truly think that until our companies are run by completely, completely run by robots, until that day comes, knock on wood, because it might be sooner than we want, um, that that people, humans, are the are the ones doing the work they are still the ones at the front on the front line doing the work, interacting with the customer more. Um, and so until we're completely overcome by bots, again, um, <laughs> I think that we need to use technology to support great work, not to replace it. And oh, it, it, well said. it feels like a competition. Yep, I think that that's something that we can have a whole other conversation around that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know we're close to time. I want to be respectful of yours. So... A final question for you. With with everything, with how COVID has shifted our way of life, there is a, a movement. Mackenzie just came out with an article where um, a large percentage of women are leaving the workforce to start their own businesses. People are actually leaving their companies 
where you thought it might have been the opposite, where people cling to their jobs because they want that security, people are stepping away because they're having these epiphanies of what really matters. They mm -hmm. want to be happy more than on the weekends and in the evening. So with that, and for our viewers listening who are considering a career change or finding themselves in a position where they're doing more of what they love, how important is financial freedom in assessing these values and, and these these big life changes? Wow, you just keep hitting me with the I know, questions. I, I love it though. That's <laughs> why I love when we get together and talk. Not only do we like keep it real, but we have some great work conversation. I love what we both do. <laughs> and I we do also too. have fun. I do too. So <laughs> it is it's very important, right? Like we, we all have lifestyles. We may have families, people we're caring for there. I love to travel. So I like to have money to travel and there's, there can be a price to clinging to a job for too long, whether that's an opportunity cost of a promotion elsewhere or work we may love more, but there, there, it, there has to be some kind of financial security. That's why there are people who do this for a living to help us with this and support mm. us. So to that note, um, I would, you know, if you're thinking about making that change, talk to a financial advisor or someone who can help you. And in that way, I'm not your person. <laughs> I can give you some <laughs> overall advice to go find a person, but it is important. But there's also, you know, our, our happiness intrinsically. And if we, part of why I started a business is because I wasn't getting what I needed mm -hmm. after 13 years of, of doing those things. And so it's, you know, we have to, what we pour in, we want to get out. And if there's misalignment there, sometimes we're willing to take a pay cut. So that's one thing that I would say to people too, is really look at your finances and your budget. If you have a spouse, significant other partner, ask you know, what are they willing to, I have a spouse who is very kind and who has offered me the flexibility to do this. So work within your, your familial units to be able to say, you know, what, how much, what's the, the bar for what I, the, the lowest I can make. And it's never to me worth sacrificing your soul, your mental health, your livelihood for a job. It's just not. And, and that's why we're seeing so many people making this mass exodus and women are disproportionately impacted but some of that we've we've taken the reins and said we're taking back control yeah. and we want to have a career we love we're not going to continue to be ruined by these organizations so. mm, I love that yeah and I think that when it comes down to I mean looking at your finances and saying you know are these vacations you know is this vacation and for you Tiffany it may be because I know you love travel and I, I'm the same so maybe it's not vacation for us but you know, is, are these family vacations really worth my happiness? Or could we go yeah. camping for a couple of yep. years? Could we get creative? I think there's also a space to get creative with, you know, if you do take a big pay cut to do something that you love or you've always wanted to do, you know, there is space to get really creative with replacement of the things that you will no longer be able to afford. And that might only be for a period of time. Um, and then Tiffany, I think to your point, Getting, I think having a good financial acumen, whether you yourself become really savvy and you read books or you get, I, I, I would advise as well, getting a great financial advisor. I think it's just as important as having a primary care doctor or a therapist, 
you know, it's all, again, we're looking at the whole person. So we're not just looking at your cognitive function. We're not just looking at your physical well-being. We're also looking at the financial piece, which affects your psychology. Um, Mm -hmm. So having someone that can help you work through that, I think it's huge. I love that you that you touched on that and the example you gave of you know some exotic vacation maybe versus camping I love to camp and (laughs) I think that now in COVID we've had to be a lot more creative right so that it's gotten a whole lot cheaper I don't spending money on certain things to be honest to be hard to go the other way. I was just thinking about that except wine I mean we've been ordering cases of of wine you know every week but yeah Tiffany, did you just so did you just invite me and Vince to go to go camping with you and your husband? Are we doing sure. that? Okay, perfect. Sure. I can't you wait. Like to camp too. We haven't been in a while. Let's, let's figure it out. Perfect. Oh, so so Tiffany and I are gonna go camping. Uh, while we're doing that, we encourage all of you to go find a great financial advisor. Um, <laughs> no, but with all that aside, this was such a great conversation. And and as we wrap up. Tiffany, is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with as a takeaway, something that you think is super important that may often be missed in the work that you do? I think what's important is just to to lean really into your, your courage and to be open and just remembering that on both sides, there are humans, employees, your leader is human, and they may be facing some pressures. And leaders, your employees are human, and they may have stuff going on outside of the workplace. So meeting each other at the intersection of our humanity versus Mm. some of, we often project blame and assign stereotypes or assumptions. We don't lead with assuming positive intent or seeking to understand. And so those are some of the things that I would love to leave people with, because I think then we will build stronger teams and cultures, which as you know, I just am all about. Oh, I love that. What a beautiful ending. Tiffany, where can people find you? They want to work with you. Yes. On LinkedIn. That's where I I live. Although I've been trying to take your social media breaks, folks, too, if you need to. That is a form of burnout at times as well. But love my LinkedIn community, my LinkedIn fam. So I am there where my my customers are, as well as obviously have a website, but um, I'm also a clubhouse. So if you are in iPhone user, hopefully soon to be for Android, they'll have Clubhouse, but I do a Saturday talk there called Let's Talk HR. It's That's the name of the club. And you can find me at, at T Castanio on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure to have you. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Megan. I'll look forward to our camping trip and wine. Oh, <laughs> me too. I'll bring the wine. You bring the tents. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Method Podcast. I am Megan Bond, and if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the Human Method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today.